Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Mandolins of Beer podcast. This is a track-by-track track with Matt Flinner, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also sponsored this week exclusively by ArtistWorks. ArtistWorks is dedicated to providing anyone anywhere in the world with affordable, interactive access to some of the greatest music teachers in the world. Each hand-selected ArtistWorks online music teacher brings many years of performing, recording, and teaching experience to players of all skill levels. Students at ArtistWorks have direct access to our robust video lesson catalog that is ever-expanding with fresh content. With the ability to loop and adjust playback speed, these online music lessons could be the key to unlocking your playing abilities. Through the patented video exchange learning platform, master musicians like mandolin legend Mike Marshall interact directly with enthusiastic players in an industry-unique social online learning environment. Mike reviews each video exchange submission and records a response offering specific guidance to take your playing to the next level. All students can access the video exchange library and watch each other's interactions with Mike. These video exchanges form the basis of an ever-growing, ever-changing online learning experience that is superior to a real classroom and provides the most convenient and effective way to learn online. Want to take your playing to the next level? Use promo code MB. AW20 to save 20% on lessons at artistworks.com. That's M-B-A-W-20. And you can find that link at mandolinsandbeer.com as well. You'll also find a link to a YouTube video of Todd Phillips. Matt talks a bit about um, Todd and David, who really played a big part before they started their trio in the the, uh, recording of this album. You'll hear all about that, but he talks about an incredible Todd Phillips album, and I found a link to it on YouTube, and I posted it at mandolinsandbeer.com, so check that out. Also, feel free to get some merch. Follow me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, maybe go to Patreon and follow me on Patreon. It's $4 a month or $8 a month to get some videos and tabs. All right, y'all, thank you so much. I hope you guys are having a great week. Have a happy Monday if you're listening on Monday when this comes out. Uh, and if not, just have a happy day regardless. Cheers, y'all. Here's Matt Flinner. All right, now I'd like to welcome back to the podcast for a track-by-track episode of The View from here, Matt Flinner. How's it going, Matt? Great, Daniel. How are you? Doing good, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to be back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Absolutely, man. I um I saw you. I watched the episode that um that you did with uh, Andrew Collins with uh, Jake Jolliffe and, and Dog there for his Isolationist Guide to Mandolin. That was incredible. Thanks. That was fun. That was, yeah, that that was uh, one of my heroes and two fabulous friend mandolin players that I was, yeah, it was really fun and honor, honorable. <laughs> it was fun and an honor to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. That was a good one, man. Um, yeah. He's doing great, great, great things with uh, putting together, uh, really, really cool workshops. And you have you been doing other uh, Zoom workshops and stuff like different things that maybe would have been in person this year? Not really. Um, what I've been really occupying myself with is uh, a lot of online teaching. Where I'll, I've got these courses that I teach that generally run eight weeks. Oh each. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I and in the summer I'll do four week shorter courses, four week courses. And so uh, that's kind of what I've been mostly doing is just I'll, I'll, you know, make up these various curricula in different areas of mandolin playing and um, put together an eight-week course. Where fall will be eight-week courses starting in uh, late September. 
And, you know, we'll talk about rhythm mandolin or swing rhythm this fall, I think. And so it takes a lot of time for me to put those together and, and time and energy that tends to go mostly towards that. But um, <laughs> there is one thing I do on Fridays that's been a regular thing. It's, it was started on Thursdays and now we've moved to Fridays. Uh, we call it the drink up and stay home. <laughs> that's right. I've attended a few of those. Yeah. I'm glad you made it to those. Yeah. And so uh, we do... <laughs> That's like every Friday at uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, and um, just for fun, and and it's I encourage people to jam along. Although I can't hear them because you know with internet delays, it would be kind of hard to make that work. But um, we get a kind of a regular crew of folks and and other folks dropping in, and and it's a fun time. And we always play a John Hartford song. We always play a a Norman Blake song. Um, we always play lately. Uh, I've been including a Curly Ray Klein song, which um, I don't know. You'd have to kind of dig into Curly Ray's albums, which is a really small niche <laughs> bluegrass, but really cool stuff and often kind of comical. But um, and then we do a, a song from the psychedelic rock era to kind of throw in something a little different. And otherwise, it's all a bunch of bluegrass. And so that's been fun to put that together. And you know, I guess we're all just we're doing what we can right now to keep playing and keep playing together. I feel like. We all pretty can feel really isolated right now, and um, my classes, online classes, have been helping a lot with that. For I, for me, and I think for a lot of the students to just be connecting with something regularly with a group of folks. They're, they're on, they're you know, they're live classes, and so there'll be a group of people online together. Although we can't see each other, but but it's kind of created a little community, and and that I think that's helped a lot of us get through this. And and um, you know, the people are doing regular jams and concerts. It's 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 at least it's something where we can connect even though we're not meeting in person. So, you know, I know there's a lot out there to to check out online that's uh, uh, that helps with that isolation, but also is helping musicians get through this stuff as we lose gigs, as we continue to lose gigs through the rest yeah. of the summer. So, and actually, I know it's helping because I have a patron who, when uh, I mentioned that I was going to be doing uh, track by track with you. I sent out an email and he was talking about how he had attended one of your things and it was just like, oh, so great. And then they had, it said like had a big like virtual jam at the end with all, <laughs> with everyone or something along those lines. Probably the, uh, the, we did a virtual camp. Uh, I, I'm guessing they were referring to that with yes. uh, John Sternberg and Alan Bybee and David Surrett and I did a, a four, four teacher virtual camp for five days in, uh, um, july early late june early july and uh yeah we kind of had a big <laughs> virtual jam at the end although it's still yeah i haven't tried the things where you can supposedly play together you right. know, in real <laughs> i know there are a couple maybe things out there and i just haven't really had time to check them out but um but you know it works if you can lead the jam you can lead the number and then everybody you assume is playing along and then maybe you rotate, you know, someone else can lead the next one. That's, I think some people are doing that and that it's a, it's a way to play together anyway and have, have fun doing it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, it's working. So commend you for doing that. And and when does the, um and when does the registration end and the classes start for that new rhythm mandolin class coming up? I'm, you know, I'm just getting it up online just now. Um, and it, it, I think it starts, I forget get the, the exact date. It's around September 28th. There'll be three, I usually do, you know, three different classes to offer people different choices. So there'll be like a Monday class, Tuesday class, Wednesday class. Mm -hmm. 
And so there'll be a rhythm mandolin that's more kind of folk and bluegrass. And then there'll be a swing rhythm because I've taught swing classes before, but you know, it's easy to neglect the chords and, and just rhythm playing, even though that's what we do most of the time in jam sessions. If, you know, if we remember what jam sessions used to be like. <laughs> but so that when we come out of this crazy COVID time and we're back playing in jam sessions, we're more prepared to play, play that rhythm mandolin with, with our friends. Um, so it'll be a swing rhythm class. And then I, th I think the other one's going to be kind of a music theory related course, which, um, so that they'll start in late September and run through probably late November or early December. Cool, man. And that's all at my way at mattflinder.com. There's, there'll be info. I'm hope I'm actually, I was working on it right before we started talking. And so it might be up tonight. Oh, cool. So by the time this is on. Awesome. All right. Well, the reason why we are to, together today is to talk about your album, The View From Here, which came out in 1998. And uh, what's a little backstory before the recording of this album? Well, this was the first album I of, of mine, my first solo album. And um, I had been writing mandolin tunes uh, for, you know, it's one of those things where your first record, you've got a collection of tunes you've written maybe over the last for me it was maybe over the last four or five years before that and so i felt like well it's time to maybe do something and um put put it put this thing try to get this thing out there and uh so <laughs> i uh i i started with david greer who i'd been playing with a fair bit over the last few years before that and we'd become friends and he was very encouraging to me and said yeah just do it don't worry about it being perfect just you know, I was dragging my heels probably like, well, I just don't think I'm ready. I don't think it's good. <laughs> and I probably never would have gotten it done had it not been for encouragement from people like him. And, and um, we got Todd Phillips on board, which who I didn't know very well at the time. Um, knew him a little bit, but he had produced David's um, Panorama CD just not long before that. And I always was a big admirer of Todd's, not just his bass playing, but especially kind of what's, what I saw as his musical mind of, of, you know, of writing, writing great tunes but from an angle of sort of a, I want to say kind of like a composer, you know, like someone that can arrange things in a really interesting, but, you know, compelling, interesting and compelling way. Um, so I, I liked his approach to music and thought, yeah, sure. Let's get Todd on there. It'll be different. Um, and so the three of us, um, I think we did a gig. David Greer had a, he had a gig out in Santa Cruz, California, just by himself. And I, now I'm, I can't quite remember if this, I feel like this was before we went into the studio. The three of us, Todd lived out there in California at the time in the Bay area. And I must have been out there on on tour or something. The three of us ended up playing together on David's gig. <laughs> and uh, I think David still made all the money on it. But he sat in for some of it, you know. And um, and so the but the three of us were the core of the of the album. And Todd produced it, like I, I think I said. And and then we had various fiddle players on there, and we had. Uh, Jerry Douglas on Dobro and um, yeah, so that we kind of put that together over five days in the studio. Five days. That's crazy. 
Well, it was ten tunes, so we did, we did two tunes a day, I think. Um, and I guess, you know, some if you're a band, you can go in the studio and make an album in a couple of days if you're rehearsed. Um, this wasn't a band, you know. And a lot of the tunes were hard to play. Um, they needed to be arranged, and sometimes those arrangements... Well, Todd and I worked ahead of time uh, together to come up with arrangements. He had a lot to do with, you know, how things flowed. Um, but some of those arrangements changed in the studio and or really came together in the studio. So there was time spent just trying to get it right. And, and, uh, but it was five, it was a Monday through Friday thing in Nashville at, uh, Brent Truitt's studio. <laughs> and so, and then Brent and I have been good friends ever since. And, and, uh, yeah, that, that was, it was an intense five days. Oh, I bet. A lot of, a lot of stuff. What type of uh, what type of gear do you use for the mandolin stuff? Your like your your mandolin and mics and such. On that, I don't remember. Um, I used whatever Brent had, and he always has really good mics. But what I ended up using, I probably used a KM eighty four with him and something else. I don't know. But um, now, at some point, I I ran into some KM eighty fives, which is a Neumann that. Is like the 84, but it's got a low end roll off and blah, blah. They don't make it anymore. But I found a pair. I liked those so much at a studio gig in Denver that I did with this guy, Colin Bricker, who another really great producer and friend that um, I said, what are these mics? And I ended up finding a pair of those. And that's what I carry with me to most places if I'm recording now. So I, I forget when I got those around a couple years after the view from here, I think. Years after. Yeah. Do you have like particular preamps you like to use too, or the mics kind of are the main thing for you? Well, you know, at home, I don't have a, an amazing preamp. I think, you know, with mandolin, it may not matter as much as with bass and big instruments. Um, so I've just got a focus, uh, focus right mm -hmm. preamp I use, but we usually like often we'll use a grace preamp depending on whose studio it is. Todd, I think at his home studio, we used a grace eight channel preamp. And uh, Colin out in Denver also, we've run through those a lot. I'm a big fan of those. But, you know, I'm kind of at the mercy of the producer or the, I mean, of the uh, studio engineer. And, and luckily, you know, any place I've gone to make a record, whether it's Brent's place or uh, Ben Surratt's or different places in Nashville or wherever that, you know, they've all, <laughs> they all had good gear. But I'll, I'll often bring those mics with me anyway to know that I've got a good, yeah, I've got what I like for the source anyway. Yeah, nice. And were you using your Gilchrist? Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so I had that for about four years at that point. Yeah, the, the album just sounds so good, man. Um, just the acoustic tones. It's so natural sounding. I love it. Cool. Well, that's got a lot to do with Brent and Todd, you know, as far as Brent being a great engineer. And then Todd uh, was hands-on for mixing. Tom Size also, he mixed it. Um, so... But Todd and Tom doing the mixing, and, and Todd's got a great ear for uh, acoustic instruments, um, and is a, he's a great engineer in his own own right. So I was I was really lucky. I didn't know, you know, what I was getting into, and I luckily I, it worked out really great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I always love when people are like think just acoustic albums are just like I oh, just put some mics up, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> are you out of your mind? <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, it'd be nice if, you know, I'd love to make a record where we're all just standing around one mic. But again, that's a situation where you've got a really well-rehearsed band, hopefully, that can pull that off. But yeah. it, I, I think it can be simple, but no, it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, it starts off with Red Shift, which is just a great track to open an album. Thanks. Um, yeah, we didn't know that would be the first one. We kind of put together the order after we did everything. But um, yeah, so that's uh, that's so we we had three different fiddle players on the record, and three just they're, I'm a big fan of all three of them, and we kind of that's Stuart Duncan who's on this track. Um, and Tim O'Brien is on a few others, and then Daryl Anger is on a few. They each played on three tracks, um, and we kind of picked those according to the style of the track. So Stuart, I mean, they all could have been great on any of them, you know, but Stuart, Stuart played on the sort of more, uh, I don't know. I was going to say sort of not really the new acoustic one because that was more Daryl Anger's thing. So Stuart just played on... Um, turns out he played on a couple slow tunes. I guess we just like the way he plays slow stuff, but this is the fast, faster tune that he plays on. And, you know, it's just a tune that we knew he would kick butt on and he did. And then uh, Tim O'Brien played on the more sort of old timey bluegrassy tunes and Daryl played on the sort of jazz leaning ones, I guess. Was this yeah. one that you had had a long, a long time? I think I'd had it for a year or two. I remember writing. I remember writing the B part while driving over a pass out in Wyoming, um, and so it's it probably yeah I think it was probably a couple years before before recording maybe a year. Oh, cool! So it was, at some point, you know, you've got a bag of tunes and you see what's missing. What I'm if I want ten tunes and I've got seven, then what does this album need? And I forget if this was one of those, it was like, well, we got to have something like this in there or how it came about. But um, a lot of the, a few of the tunes might've been written for the album where we, where we needed something, you know, to, to fill. I'm having a hard time. It was definitely that way with the second record, but I have to look at it now. Let's see. But anyway, this was in place. Yeah. Before going in. And then you go into Black's Fork, which is a, just another great track. album i could say that for every song it'd just be re super repetitive but man <laughs> it's so good oh thanks um so black's fork is a tune that i when i lived in 
Okay, now I'm, this has been so long ago. Now. Oh, that's all right, man. <laughs> I'm having a hard time remembering some specifics that I do remember writing the two. Okay, so I lived in Wyoming. Still, I lived out west. Grew up in mostly Utah, Colorado, Utah. At the time, I was living around Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when some of this stuff was written. And um, I was working on a documentary for a, a guy in Salt Lake City who was putting together a this documentary series about the the Mormon pioneers coming over the plains to settle in what became Salt Lake City. Oh, wow. He needed background music and he hired me for some reason. And so I had to write a bunch of stuff for, for that series. I had never got to see any footage. I wish, wish they'd let me do that. I'd forget why that was the way it was, but I just tried to write some tunes that I thought would fit. And this is one that originally, I think I wrote it for the banjo and just kind of tossed it aside and said, nah, um, and I maybe played it for someone. They said, you should keep that. And so I, I figured it out on the mandolin. And and uh, that seems, to, you know, that seems to be the one that people in some places actually play. Like in Colorado, I've heard pe or people say, let's play Blacksport because they know it. So that that's like the greatest thing to come out of it for me is that if you write a tune that, that, that other people feel compelled to learn, <laughs> for you know, that's like... I had never had that happen before. That was really cool. It's I don't know that it would be a certainly not a jam standard or anything, but the fact that people have bothered to learn it is uh, pretty. That's that's quite an honor. Yeah, that's amazing. Really cool. And Tim O'Brien plays fiddle on that. Um, Tim also one thing you know for me being in the studio with heroes of mine was a little um, disconcerting. And and um, David, luckily, I felt you know, comfortable as, as a friend with. And, and Tim, I had played with before, uh, back in 1991, he, it was a, there was a Tim and Molly O'Brien tour of Eastern Europe that they they needed a guitar player for, and they, you know, they, their guitar player had backed out. It was around the time of the Gulf, the first Gulf war the, the, um, under Bush one, when we were, and we invaded Iraq and it was a little bit of a stressful time for Americans to go abroad. Yeah. Cause I remember they, there was like a bombing of the U.S. Embassy in Turkey. And so actually there were gigs in Turkey that got canceled because of that. But anyway, so the guitarist backed out because of, I think, just the stress of it. And so they were kind of desperate. <laughs> and they cut, and I was on the list and I got called. And, played, and so I played guitar with Tim and, and Molly and Mark Schatz on bass. And boy, that was I was like 22 years old and I was just... I was in over my head and I had, I had such a great time though. And so it was so, Tim had been one of my heroes since I was, you know, 10 or 12 and well, at least 10, I'm sure actually hot rise would come through Salt Lake and play. And so I, I saw him play a lot and here I am getting to play with, you know, with some of my heroes. So amazing. So it was really cool to get him on, on the record to play, uh, to play some fiddle on a few of these tunes. With being a multi-instrumentalist, do you do you just kind of write whatever comes to you and then figure out? I mean, now obviously mandolin being your your main thing, but when you write tunes, do they traditionally come out on mandolin for you? Usually, um, yeah, yeah. That and I don't know. It's I forget why this one why this one was written on the banjo because it's I have a really hard time writing banjo tunes um but mandolin somehow lends itself more easily to to writing but i really don't know why <laughs> most of these tunes other than a couple of them were written on the guitar 
but like I'd say, looks like I'm just looking at the list here. Six at least were written on the mandolin. Oh, cool. Yep. And then we go to my next, the next track, which is honestly maybe one of my favorite. It's definitely in my top five favorite mandolin tunes, man. Uh, now then, it is beautiful. Everything about it, man, just hits all the right buttons for me. I'm just like, just listen to it again today. I'm like, ah, what a man. beautiful song. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm, wow, that's one that I feel like you probably just skip past. And skip oh, man, not me. <laughs> Barry West at Compass Records, he was like, he was a big fan of City Chickens. He still, every time I had a gig with Allison Brown, you know, which would happen once in a while, and Gary West. Uh, it's her husband and bass player usually in Allison's band and the two of them run Compass Records which is the label that you know that this is on and Gary would say yeah I gotta play that City Chickens you know that's what play that one so people figure people just skip to City Chickens but no I'm glad you like it um that so this one will feature this features Daryl Anger on violin a low violin which is such a cool thing that he does he has that low strung violin that that has this big deep sound and it's very much his part of his sound you know when he when he uses that you can tell that it's daryl and and uh so he he played that on on this tune he he was uh the only musician to overdub um because every we did it all in nashville with people that lived in nashville other than you know todd flew out from california to come play bass and produce it but daryl anger lived in uh also the bay area at the time i think oakland um so we went out to Todd's house with all the, I guess, tapes, right? I think we had, I think we had either ADATs or I forget what the format was. Boy, that was the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we have Daryl overdub on, uh, at Todd's house. We did record there. And, uh, it's another thing where, you know, here's one of my heroes that I had never really met and he's coming over to play at Todd's house. He and Todd, of course, are old friends from the original Grisman Quintet. And, right. And, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like in, as they say, tall cotton here. And, and, and Daryl's playing on one of my two. It just was like this huge experience of, oh my gosh. And I, I just, I, the whole thing with this record for me was that I, I really felt it was a, it was a it was a scary thing for me to do as a 28 year old still kid basically you know and get out there with these heroes of mine that Todd of course was friends with all of them and they were and David too so it, they were kind of I knew Tim obviously but otherwise it was a new batch of folks that I hadn't really spent much if any time with and and I had a I was I was happy with the tunes so I felt like well at least I know I feel like these tunes are good and I may not feel that confident in my playing and where I am musically with these guys and everything, but it's my tunes and, and let's see what happens. And, you know, I'll know my tunes pretty well, at least. 
turns out I didn't maybe know him as well as David did. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was still a challenge. I, I just, I learned so much. I, I, one thing I learned, I think, is that anytime you do something that you want to do, but it's really scary, it's always, it always produces, it, well, I don't know if it, it, it's always a good thing to do. And in my experience, it's always produced good results. So, you know, I've, I've, maybe after this, I might have been more likely to throw myself into musical situations that that were scary, you know, that were a challenge, um, but that I knew I wanted to try, you know. And, and so I've always learned a lot from being in those unfamiliar and perhaps uncomfortable situations. And this whole record was kind of that for me. So <laughs> you would never know, though, because it's just such a, it's it sounds so relaxed. And 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 again, it sounds tight, like, you know, those it doesn't sound like, you know, um, a group of guys you, that that got together and learned the tunes. It sounds like guys who've been playing the tunes for a while. I think that's amazing. Huh. Well, I you know, one big thing about that is I have to say is David Greer, although, you know, it's funny, he's not on this track. He's not on now then. But um, he really put in the time and he got together with me before the recording and said, Hey, let's play these tunes, you know, let's run through them. And I'd be like, really, you want to go through and say, yeah, he wanted to do a good job. He always does want to do a good job. Um, and so he and I playing together as much as we did on these tunes, I think made a big difference. And we ran through them with Todd. I forget how much, you know, maybe for a couple of days before the sessions as well. Um, everybody else, I think, I can't remember now if we rehearsed with Tim or Stuart before. I don't think so. I think we just, we sent him the tunes to hear him. I sent him a cassette tape, in fact. And, uh, you know, to everybody that was going to be on there. And uh, so they could check him out. And then they came in the day of. And, you know, of course, we're great. It's amazing just thinking about having to mail a cassette to somebody for a demo now to be like, hey, can you check this song out? Yeah, it'll be there in like a week. And as opposed to like emailing somebody and they can listen to it. 10 seconds after you send it. <laughs> yep. That's what we did. That's what, and so I forget, you know, I think so many records where you see, we sent out cassettes to check out the tunes and, uh, well, I forget when, when did that stop? I, yeah, I, don't, know. I don't know either. Uh, I mean, probably sometime in the early nineties, I guess when CDs, you could burn CDs, but even in the nineties, I remember having cassettes and mailing cassettes. How to burn a CD. I think, I mean, this was 1997, <laughs> yeah. so, and then the next one was latitude was 99 maybe or 98 99 i did the same thing so yeah that was uh it you know i guess that would be old school now right yeah yeah it's an old school thing and then we uh we move on to city chickens which uh obviously the compass records people loved <laughs> they put it on a compilation what was that i forget what it was called but so i got like a little extra money you know i'm like city chickens might have made like five bucks on the statement instead of <laughs> 30 cents you know <laughs> but yeah it, it was uh 
You know what this one, I can tell you what the inspiration is for this. Yes. Yeah. As much as anything would be David Grisbin would be the inspiration on this tune. And I don't know if, if he would be able to tell that. Yeah, he could probably tell that I stole, kind of stole some of his licks. <laughs> and made a tune out of, out of a, an idea that I thought was very David Grisman-esque, you know. And I handed him a CD after I got done. I forget where I ran into him. And I said, I said, hey, I just want you to know, besides, you know, you being an inspiring player always for me, that I kind of stole a couple of your licks for this, for one of the tunes on this CD. I thought I should tell you that. And he, and he goes, hey, man, you know what they say is that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> So I felt like, okay, this is going to be fine. And he's, he's, he's cool with it. Oh, that's great. So it's an idea that, um, well, I've got the mandolin right here. I don't know if it, I can try playing the idea. Oh, oh, heck yeah, dude. Okay. So the idea is this. I think I'm out of tune, but uh, that kind of thing where, you know, when he plays Dog's Bull, where he's playing... There's a melody, but there's these open strings that pop out. Uh huh. And he's like, what the heck is going on? But they don't, they're not part of the melody, but they give this kind of rhythmic drive to it. And so I didn't quite do it as cool as that, but. So there's this constant pick motion, but the melody is really this thing that's not all eighth notes. But if you play it all eighth notes with the open strings in between, then it just has hopefully some of that same sort of drive. And so that's what I stole from David Grisman for that tune was that that sort of idea. Oh, and, uh, man. Dude, that's so awesome that you picked up your mandolin right there, too. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, it's just here, you know, but the um, but it's just a little fingering trick. You know, it's one of those things. Once you figure out the fingering, it's like, oh, that's not as hard as I thought. You know, but, it, but I'm not going to tell you what the fingering is. <laughs> Get figured out. You got to figure but, it out, man. <laughs> so that's my that's my ripoff of Grisman for that tune. Oh, that's great. Have you ever um, thought about putting out like a transcription book? Because uh, you've done transcription books for other people. Right. Yeah, I've actually got this one all transcribed, and I, I don't know why I haven't done that yet. I, I, I need to talk to a friend about that that's done that before about doing it. But yeah, I do have – I've got the um, – Let's see, I think I've got the melodies, and I think my solos are transcribed as well. At least what I meant to do is transcribed. I don't know if it's note for note, but the, um, but no, I, I think I've got, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me, because I just need to get that, get that out there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that'd be amazing. Like, br breaking news. <laughs> One time, David and Todd and I were riding in the van somewhere on tour, and I was working on a book for Roland White of uh, Clarence White uh, guitar transcriptions. And I'm on my laptop there and listening through headphones and Todd's driving. And he goes, Matt, <laughs> are you writing down another man's notes? <laughs> and he said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Clarence though, man. And I just felt like, you know, maybe it's time you write down your own notes, man. <laughs> but Well, yeah, that's awesome. Guys, I hope that happens. Yeah, I just got to follow through, but I, and I will. So. And then uh, next up here, we got Cold Quarters.
So, um, let's see. This is, I don't know, this is, this actually is a tune that, um, you know, some people say, well, this tune sort of wrote itself, like I, it just sort of came out. And this is the only, maybe the only tune I've had that, that really happened where it just sort of wrote itself very quickly. And, um, excuse me, so I was, I was living in a very cold place in Jackson, Wyoming, and that's where the title uh, came from. And uh, this was written on the guitar, but became a mandolin tune, obviously. O'Brien is playing fiddle on this. It's got a little bit of an Irish kind of sound to it. Yeah, for sure. I was going to, that's one of my notes. Um, I was going to say, I bet you Tim played on this one because of that real Celtic-y Irish sort of sound. Yep. So we, we thought Black's Fork and Cold Quarters were, and let's see, he was also on... Um, Oh, this one we'll get to DNA. So they're kind of the Irishy or old timey ish sounding tunes. Uh, we felt like Tim would be perfect for those. And yeah, he once again great fiddling. The one thing about this is that it's nothing but melody, and um, we never really take solos. You know, it's not there's nothing improvised about it. And um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I, I it's it's something you don't necessarily hear that often. I, I I feel like you know a lot of the time we feel like well everybody's got to take a solo. We got to make sure everyone gets a solo on these tunes and and show what they can do. And um, uh, it's it's refreshing sometimes to hear. Okay, now we'll just do. It's like when if a bluegrass band strips it down to just guitar and bass for a gospel tune, you know, or that type of thing where it's not about the solos. It's about changing the texture and maybe, uh, well, just, ch just changing things up. So this felt like a good tune to change things up where, okay, we've had everybody take solos on these other tunes. Now this will be one that's about the melody and about how we sort of treat that melody, you know, and, and there were little differences in how we ended the B section. And like, sometimes there would be, a lot of space before it started up again. Sometimes there'd be a little bit of space and sometimes it would just start, it would kind of overlap when it would come back in with the melody at the end of the B part. So it, that was sort of the, I don't know, kind of the form development was how, how we, how we treated that melody through it. But, um, but it's all melody, nothing else. I love it. it, it another thing that stands out on the CD, speaking of melody though, is I think a lot of the solos are a great lesson in variations on the melody. Um, it, all the solos seem to be, I mean, you know the, what song that are, that that's playing on the album by that, which I think is great because it doesn't happen on all instrumental albums at all. Right. That's it. I hadn't, I, I'm glad to hear that because I, I guess I hadn't heard it that way with this, but I, yeah, I, and I, I think, well, again, you know, to me, so much of what I like about this record, and I don't usually like my own stuff at all, you know, we're all our own worst critics. I actually like this record still, and a big part of that is is what David brought to it, what David Greer brought in. And I think having played with him for, you know, a fair bit of time before the record, you know, just by playing with someone, you, you pick up maybe ideas mm -hmm. and maybe they're, you get an impression of their approach to music. And I, I, with him, 
it is very much about the melody and improv is very much about how you treat the melody and how you I don't know how to explain it but you know you you can I guess you can tell when someone is playing I think you can tell when someone is playing what they hear as opposed to a bag of licks for sure they, right and so and David is always creating melody in his head but he's he's one of those musicians that does that but also it's it starts with the original melody and so when you create melody off of a, another melody you're grounded in that melody you know and so what you create in theory anyway is going to be very much um not necessarily it's like variations on that melody but it's always and that's kind of like a it doesn't really doesn't really do it justice it, it's I, you know another thing about it too, and this I'm mean, just not unique to David. You can tell a, a player that's also got the melody in their head, even though they're not playing that melody. I guess maybe that's a better way to. A lot of people, I've heard talk about it that way, where even when you're improvising, you're still hearing the melody. Mm -hmm. You know, but but David, I remember if I'd be in a jam session with David, sometimes and and uh, be a tune that I didn't know, and I'd go for it anyway. I'd say, yeah, sure, I can play that. <laughs> but then or I can at least fake it and but then David if it would come around to him he'd say no I don't I don't know it yet I'd be like wait a minute you're one of the greatest guitar players alive and you you're not gonna try so and it's not that he wasn't willing to try it, it's just that he didn't feel like he really knew the melody well enough yet I think and so that you know um or maybe he was just could have been just grumpy that day but no I think it <laughs> just respect for the melody and and um, and also when you're improvising, you're composing in the moment, you know, and that I learned so much, I think, from playing with, with him and with people like him, that you're capturing the moment and you're at the same time, it's like, you're, you're, you're trying to serve the song as best you can serve that melody as best you can mm -hmm. to help the song. You're helping the song. You're not helping your own virtuosity or whatever you're always serving the song and he he is really a, a great example of that everybody on this record is i mean I, they're, i'm so lucky to have geez you know they're all, all these players are all about making this the music that they're playing better as a collective thing yeah it's an all-star cast man yeah i mean i would i again uh, I was I felt so amazingly lucky to to, to get these guys to agree to, to you know to play my tunes. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, you know the, the, the reputation from David uh, telling people about you must have cemented that too because you know the, these guys are busy too. If they, they must have known something was in these songs because you know they could do other things, but they decided to be on this album and. And you've had a, you played a ton now with um like you've done a bunch of recordings and different things with Todd and David too so yeah after this we kind of formed a band after this record it was funny like we had a good time as a trio so we're the three of us are on every track except we we left guitar off of actually Cold Quarters is the other one that does not have guitar on it um so we got of course the great Mike Marshall to overdub some bazooka he's the other overdubbed player I forgot that. um just as a textural thing since we didn't have guitar in there. But anyway, um, after this, um, I think Todd has been in so many bands, really great bands, um, as a bass player, but doesn't get a chance to play his own music that much. And so he, um, 
the three of us, I think, had enough fun playing together um, that we decided to start booking some gigs. And the first record we did, the Phillips Grew Flinter record, we each contributed three tunes. So you get to hear some of Todd's music, which you just don't hear that much. You have to really dig to find his album um, released, which is probably on like Take's Bluegrass channel or something, you know, but it's out of print. In the Pines? Um, is that the one? No, that's a great record though, too. But released is one he did back in he i think he was in the grisman quintet at the time i'm not sure but it's all tunes of todd's um it was on rounder records and uh he plays mandolin and bass on it oh i know what i'm doing tonight if i can track it down <laughs> i think if you just google it um or i mean go to youtube and search for it you'll find it and it's really good i mean it's a great bunch of tunes and um in fact <laughs> It just occurred to me, there's a tune, there's a track called Ants on the Moon on that, that is more of just a composition with pizzicatos, Daryl doing, Daryl Anger doing pizzicato stuff and Todd muted mandolin and, and there's some bass and, and uh, it's not a tune, it's not, it's a, more of a, a little piece and a little texture that, uh, anyway, a friend of mine asked me to host a radio show with him and pick out stuff and I put that on there because like, you know, he's, people you ought to hear some of Todd's stuff it's really cool and he did another record um for compass where he also plays bass and mandolin and octave mandolin and now i can't remember the name i'm sure i've got it here somewhere um but that came out around the same time as as in the pines that's the one you're talking about it's got old traditional tunes on it and that's a fantastic yeah really record. good yep so anyway, after we did this View From Here record, we, we started playing together as a trio, and we did two CDs as that trio, and then I, my second CD, Latitude, was with those guys again, plus kind of most of the same crew from View From Here. So we, yeah, we did quite a bit of recording. Yeah, you guys did like a kind of like a book and a play-along thing, too. As... Yeah, for Homespun. We did it with uh, Tony Trishka played banjo and Daryl Anger on fiddle, and so it was like a bluegrass band um you could choose any any of the instruments for whichever book you were going to buy would be you know that instrument's uh rendition of of all these what 20 kind of bluegrass standards yeah that's a cool book by the way i found that on my ipad here while we were talking so <laughs> everybody should check it out that's from the days of that you know that new acoustic well it wasn't called that but you know the dog dog music when it was in kind of its early, early days and people were writing all this new jazz inflected stuff or whatever, you know, different non stuff for bluegrass instruments in the mid late seventies. Sounds like a, it was a pretty creative time for those guys. Yeah, man. I'll put a uh, YouTube link um, with this uh, on my, on my uh, website when I post this episode. Please. Yeah. Great. So next up we got Wilson bridge. That's named, I lived actually not in Jackson, Wyoming, but Wilson, Wyoming, which is right next to Jackson. So that's <laughs> named after that. No fiddle on that one. We had Jerry Douglas on Dobro. Um... And that was the first tune of these, maybe, that, that I wrote. I can't remember. It was an early one, though. And we, we played it through, and 
everybody took solos and then we got to the what we call the head out you know the melody going out and todd said he just played like the first phrase and goes just stop there that's enough of that we've heard enough of that melody and then just stop there so it it stops uh what might have sounded abruptly at first but he he made the right choice it was just it's a pretty simple tune <laughs> just stop <laughs> heard enough he's very blunt right i one thing about todd and david is they're both very honest in the studio <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'll tell you when we get to the tune. There's another tune that David had some good, honest comments about. But um, yeah, so we. I can't tell you how uh, the arrangements. When you've got a producer with a good mind who you agree with most of the time, and for them to guide you through and help you not make help you avoid bad decisions. So that Todd, that's all Todd with this. I think you know he. he <laughs> He, he got the flow happening like it needed to, I think so. That's great, too. And there's another, I think that's another great example of showing someone actually cares about the music that they're putting out there because if they didn't care and see the potential in this, they'd just be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> totally. It's not like anybody in this in this music is, is making any money, really. Everybody, but there's this such care about the craft. And, and I suppose, you know, you have a, a reputation to maintain, too, as a, as a musician and producer and all that to keep putting it try to put out good work but it's i think mainly that these guys all care about making making this the best that it can be and you know making an individual tune the best it can be make like bring out the character of that tune as it needs to come out and not try to force some other character upon it and uh, so todd was good with that too this takes us on to another pretty tune here uh the village road So this is the slow tune, slowest tune, I, I guess, of the track, and uh, we have Stuart Duncan playing fiddle on it. Um, this was actually written on the guitar. I was out on, I played with a band called Loose Ties out of uh, Wyoming for, when I moved to it there, I was playing guitar with them. Okay, so yeah, I was on tour in Las Vegas and just not, just not wanting to be there really, I think, and, and uh, kind of tired and, and wanting to get back to where I, to where I lived and that's so I wrote this on the guitar out there. I remember showing it to David too. I wrote it in A in open A on the guitar. And uh and so I think I showed it to him on the guitar initially. And I said, you know, you could play it out of open A um like I'm doing here and he goes, "No." <laughs> he just said, <laughs> he wanted to do it differently so that it would be his own um, so it would really, it would, it would, uh, not be trying to be something else or, you know, not trying to be somebody else or whatever it was. So he capoed up to and played it out of G, which was much better. And, um, he, he starts it out on the guitar with a little intro. Um, Stuart Duncan plays, plays fiddle and just does some of the most beautiful double stops on this tune that, if you if you could 
visualize what he's doing if you know mandolin or fiddle to where you can visualize what he's doing double stop wise it's really amazing i mean it's really really some beautiful stuff and really um i mean he's improvising this solo you know it's not like he worked it out. he learned the melody obviously but then he's he's just playing these double stops um on the fly that that uh are just gorgeous. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful thing about this tune. Yeah, that's so cool, man. And and to be able to see somebody like Stuart Duncan do that over a tune you wrote. Oh, I know, I know. And the fact that you've got these great players playing, you know, your own your music is. I can't tell you that the thrill that was and the kind of honor that they would. I mean, they they take their craft seriously, so they would do that for anybody. But you know, you feel like, geez, they're they're really making these tunes, like we said. You know, they're doing the, making as as good as they can collectively. And um, Stuart is very much about that too. You know, his playing is always to serve the song. And uh, but when it's his solo, and he can really shine, you know, and he certainly does here. That leads us to DNA. This was at this might be this is the oldest tune. That's the right. This is the tune that I wrote first and this was written on the banjo and i had a i had a gig with tim o'brien after after we did our european tour i played rocky grass with him and a kind of a um oh moondy klein was on that on on guitar oh wow he was in later in uh, chesapeake and seldom seen you know and all that. but um at the time he was an up-and-coming great singer from Washington DC area. And so anyway, it was Tim and Moondy and me and this great bass player named Mark Diamond out of Colorado. And uh, so we played Rocky Grass and I needed to come up with a, a tune. I, I don't think this was written for Rocky, but I, ha I had this tune on the banjo and I didn't have a name for it. I said, well, it's in D and then the B part's in A. So it's in D and A. That's a pretty good title. So let's just call it that. Oh, that's great. And it's, uh, this is the one, I hear David again. <laughs> the, the, David decided to tune the guitar to open D. And I don't know what inspired him to do that, but he thought, let's try this. And so he just kind of, he tunes, you know, his E string down, both E strings down to D, the B strings down to A, and the G strings down to F sharp. And, you know, and so he's got this open D chord. And he just starts messing around with that. He's a he's a quick learner. He figured out the melody pretty quickly in open D and then started goofing around with soloing around in there. And so his all his playing on this and his solo and everything, you can hear those open strings ringing out. And uh, he also really, <laughs> I think it's behind this fiddle solo, Tim O'Brien again. And you hear David kind of playing these, these bass lines and things. Um, and little responses to sometimes to my backup and sometimes to Tim's playing. So it just sounds like he's having, just having fun. 
and it's some of my favorite David Greer guitar playing, partly because he's just goofing around in open D and enjoying that, and also he's responding. I mean, he's always wanted to respond to the music around him when he's playing, but this is just an example of, I don't know, of him doing that where it's, it's very, very interactive and uh, and really fun to listen to. But we did <laughs> we did was <laughs> when we were in the studio. And this is one that maybe we hadn't figured out how we were going to end the tune yet. And we're all sitting there and Todd says, well, let's try this. And he had some idea that was going to extend the ending a certain way and longer than what we ended up with. He had this long extension. And I said, well, that's, I think that's a great idea because to me, this tune is about extended phrases is kind of what the tune is about. You know, it's like, it's a really nerdy way to describe the tune is that well this is about extended phrases it just sounds so nerdy and the opposite of what david greer would say and and david said said well <laughs> after hearing our after hearing todd's new ending david said well if i was listening to this record i wouldn't think that this tune is about as about extended phrases I would think this tune is about suck. <laughs> this was just... And he doesn't remember. I said, do you remember that? He didn't remember. It's just another day, you know, but he, um, he was right. It was, it turned out maybe it wasn't the best idea. And so we scrapped it and I, you know, it just changed into what it, whatever it ended up being. And, uh, so the honesty in the studio was, uh, often very blunt, but, but correct, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it oh. is what it turned into. But I, I just, <laughs> at the time, I was probably not thinking that was funny at all. You know, I was, but now I just, I love it. Oh my God, that's great. It's <laughs> about suck. <laughs> well, it's because he cared. He wanted it to be good. He wasn't being mean. He just wanted it to be good. And he felt like we're going the wrong direction here. Yeah. And again, I think it says a lot about somebody who's going to, who cares enough about a project to say something, to be like, nah, I don't think that's the right idea. You know, that's somebody who's invested in it. Right. And he's not always right. I'll say that. <laughs> but he was right here. And then we uh, we have the jazzy tune here next. Uh, another alley. This um, it features Daryl Anger on fiddle again, who's you know obviously a very capable jazz violinist. That's under understatement, and so he he obviously did some great playing as always on this. This is the uh, the last tune that we cut um, after five days, and it was the hardest one. Um, I think because it has some meter changes, like we kind of go from 3-4 to 4-4, four, four, trying to play kind of a funky 4-4 four, four or something. And so the meter is changing, and sometimes we weren't sure, like on what beat does it change? Sometimes we'd mess that up, and, and we're it was just me and Todd and David in the studio. Daryl overdubbed later. Um, and so it's just the three of us, and um, it was 
you know, I was having a hard time playing it. Um, and I think we got to about 2 a.m. We're still trying to get it right. And poor Brent Truitt, you know, is there at the control panel at our mercy. He's, he's being really nice to let us finish on Friday night. And uh, he said he actually fell asleep at the controls at least <laughs> one time. And then, if you, oh, you guys are done. They wake up and hit stop, you know. And, um, and I was, yeah, I was so frustrated by this tune and just thought, why did I bother making this record? Because, gosh, I'm so horrible and can't play. And, and uh, yeah, there was it was really a downer for me. But then when we heard the heard the record actually or heard the take you know spent a couple weeks not hearing it i think and then came back and listened like okay this is fine yeah came out okay yeah that's awesome that's the worst feeling man like you do like a live thing or something and you get the you're like oh boy and then somehow there's a recording of it and you listen back you're like oh oh okay <laughs> yeah or the opposite can happen you know where you feel so good about your playing like oh it was one of my best nights and then you happen to hear a recording and like Man, what was I thinking? This is horrible. But it's usually, you know, luckily when you have a, you know, I think you're you're right. Like it's never as bad as you think when you hear it back. And then the last track, the title, the title track to the album. By the way, I had to make sure I wasn't insane because all my CDs are packed in my garage and um, I had to go through my hard drive and I knew there was a hidden track at the end of this track, but it's not on like the Spotify version. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's probably a good thing. They left that off. Yeah, there are. This is the 10th track and there is an 11th track if you actually have the uh, uh, the CD. Um but this one is another tune written for that documentary. I was trying to write, I was, you know, a lot of this, I was trying to write Western sounding stuff, st whatever that means. Um, with view from here and, and uh, village road. And I don't know, it was maybe not trying to write Western stuff, but I, I feel like this one was trying to write a tune about crossing the plains in wagons. <laughs> and, and it, it, it turned into a tune that I, that I did like. And, and, um, uh, let's see. So this is Stuart Duncan again on fiddle. Um, and it's just, it, I don't know. It's a very low, low key. No, nothing really fancy about it. Um, I guess one reason I liked it is that the, the phrasing is, is a little bit, um, a little bit crooked. Um, it's not crooked beat wise, but there's like the phrasing is, is just, you know, not totally square. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, pretty, pretty simple, pretty just cut and dry. Nothing, nothing really flashy about it or anything. Did you always know that that was going to be the name of the album? No. In fact, that tune, this tune was called something else and I don't remember now what it was, um, at the time, but we were, Todd and I were going through titles, um, after after we got done and 
and so some of these titles didn't happen until after they were recorded but um and he thought it was a good name for the record so i said yeah that sounds good let's do that i think it was his title um if i remember right nice did you have any just horrible album title ideas before that i man i don't remember um we had some titles for some of the tunes that i can't repeat (laughs) (laughs) joke you know just joke titles um but yeah, I think I was just at a loss for an album title, really. Yeah, well, it's I think it's a that's a perfect first album title, man. Yeah, and it, it was I guess it felt like maybe we we thought well it's you know you, you live in at the time I was like I said living in Wyoming and it's a different place and um music you know I wasn't in the in the thick of it in Nashville yet or in the South where you know music is played a certain way and there's a certain, I don't know, there's a certain standard and out West we were maybe more removed from that. And which is good and bad. I think, you know, like the good about it was that um, maybe you're not so rigid about certain things um, with the way forms go or the way the rhythm has to be played or whatever. And so, but, and also, um, maybe whether, maybe more unconsciously, I feel like, uh, out West, not all California bluegrass is like this, like Vern Williams was certainly, you know, very traditional sounding, but when you hear Laurie Lewis or, um, or Grisman or, you know, a lot of the California people, you do tend to hear often a little bit more space in the music. Um, and I don't know if it's a reflection of being out West where there's just more space anyway, more, you know, open spaces and things. So, but it's it's kind of funny how that's it seems to often kind of be that way where uh, Western music tends to sometimes I, this is really probably not hundred percent you know maybe not to be true at all but um, but I felt like it was a good reflection of being a, a Westerner and the space in the music was was one thing I remember you know when David and I would be talking about it. And if people were asking, well, we've been up to, well, we made this, Matt made this record we worked on and, and David's description of it was space. Like he said, yeah, there's space. And with, uh, for whatever reason that like with red, the first tune with Redshift, there's just a ton of space in the melody. Mm-hmm. So the challenge with the, and same with you from here, there's a lot of space in there. And so that like, how do you treat that space? You know, do you just let it be? or do you figure out what to fill in that space with or, or what, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. And so that was part of the fun, I think, and looking back anyway, was that how do we treat this music that most of it, not, well, not all of it, but in general, there's, there's a lot of space in a lot of this stuff and how do you treat that? And so there, so to me, sometimes the interesting thing can be listening to how the rhythmic, how the rhythm players are, are treating it. You know, how would Tony Rice treat a, a, you know, as he call a space grass kind of tune? And sometimes it's more about the rhythm than it is about whoever's soul, or it's at least as much about what's going on with the rhythm players. And so like with Redshift, that, that's a big thing to me that if the tune works, it's because the rhythm players are working together to to make good use of that space. I guess they're not, it's not like they're necessarily filling it in, like I said, but sometimes they are, sometimes they're just leaving it be, but they're always interacting with each other. 
and that becomes more the focus than the mel than maybe the melody player sometimes. Yeah. From here, it's similar to like again with you from here that last tune. Again, a lot of it is what David might be doing on the guitar or what I'm doing behind David or whatever that, and that happens in bluegrass too. I mean, obviously, you know, real bluegrass people are listening to each other and doing what they feel needs to happen to, you know, propel things. Um, it's just different when you've got this much space, I suppose, how you, how you deal with that. But, and, and David Grisman's another great example of, you know, when you hear him with, he can play bluegrass, obviously traditional bluegrass, but then you hear this more spacious stuff that he'll do. And it becomes so interesting how the ensemble will, will treat that. And I felt like that was a big influence on, on, on me too, was, was his music as well as, and you know, another thing I did, I kind of rambled way too long about this, but the, um, I listened to record after record after record by Miles Davis before going to the studio. Oh, wow. Like I was already a fan, but I, I just felt like I need some inspiration. I need a guide here. And so I listened to constant Miles Davis. And so the, the, that might've had some effect on you know, making the most of space. Oh, that's you know, cool. Because he was certainly, that was a big part of his phrasing and things, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, it's just a pleasure. And I love this album and was so excited when you, uh, when you wanted to do this. So I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Daniel. It, it, thanks for having me. Thanks for continuing this great podcast. And, oh, uh, thanks. Know, so many mandolin players and mandolin fans are, are really, uh, we're all enjoying it. And, and um, we appreciate you putting this, putting this stuff out there because it's, uh, you know, we're living in this small little tiny mandolin world. And, and uh, uh, we appreciate you uh, maybe making it bring it out there to some more to some more folks oh man thanks so much well i'm enjoying it as well so this is uh this is great i can't wait till we can all uh well maybe we'll do a mandolin to beer festival in a year <laughs> that would be great that would but be we'll, great <laughs> we'll play mandolins and drink beer i love it let's yeah where's 2021 <laughs> <laughs> awesome thanks so much matt thank you daniel <laughs>